a ghost story from the old timey days of North Carolina shivers us to the bone? Is it possible that a man in Illinois made a concoction of bananas that could feed the dead? Then we travel to Chino Hills, California to visit a toxic waste dump that may be the home of the pig man. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some fun plans for the summer, some fun ways to beat the heat. Tip one, tip one if you want to beat the heat, don't record a podcast in a closet. Don't record a podcast in a closet at one in the afternoon. It's a terrible idea. But a great idea is to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, riding into Dead Rabbit Command on the back of an ancient alligator. It's Peter Palmer. Everyone give a round of applause to Peter Palmer. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Peter, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just spread the word about the show. Talk about it on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit, wherever you hang out. Talk about the show. Help get the word out. That is how you can help as well. Peter, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the... We haven't used this vehicle in a while. I actually forgot it existed. I'm going to toss you the keys to the Carpenter Caboose. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed out to Gold Hill, North Carolina. Chugga, 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 We're going back to the year 1842. Everything sepia-toned. Everything super old-timey. The ancient alligator was born. It was a tiny little baby alligator back then. All of these stories I've chose for today... Because we're going to look at urban legends and see where they came from. What the start of these things were. And I'm always fascinated by local legends. Everyone knows about Bermuda Triangle. But it's these little local ones that always fascinate me. The ones that are kind of passed down generation after generation. We're going to take a look at these. And the first one we're looking at takes place in Gold Hill, North Carolina. Specifically, we're going to the Randolph Mine. Now, I didn't know this until I started researching this. <laughs> you go to research ghosts, you learn a little bit about history as well. This region of North Carolina was the original gold rush in America. Before gold was found in California, the 49ers, as we know them, in 1849, when they all showed up there, North Carolina was the place to be. If you wanted to get muddy, if you wanted to get wet, if you wanted to find gold, the last one is the one you really wanted to do. You went to this region of North Carolina. And one of the people who traveled to find their fortune in North Carolina was a man known as Aaron Klein. Aaron Klein and many, many others traveled to this region of North Carolina, and he, he ends up finding a job at the Randolph Mine, looking for gold, hoping to strike it rich. But something set Aaron apart from the other miners in the area. He was Jewish. His, he was the son of a rabbi who's like, I don't need any of that. I don't need any of that salvation. I don't need any of that heaven I'm going to find my heaven on earth. And his dad's like, no, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Ah, shut up, dad. So he goes to become a rich man in the mines. As I was researching the story, there was a term. I found this story on several websites. There was a term that was used over and over again. They kept saying that Aaron Klein was the victim of, quote, anti-Semitic pranks, unquote. Nowadays, we just call those hate crimes, right? There's no like, ha I'm just pranking you, bro, as you're like being like horribly brutalized because of your ethnicity. But back then, I guess it was just a prank. It was just a prank. But he didn't let that deter him. He worked in the mine like everyone else, trying to find him some gold. But he also found the eye of the owner's daughter, Elizabeth. 
she sees Aaron, she falls in love with Aaron, and he falls in love with her. And they start to have this whirlwind romance. There was one miner in particular who didn't like this at all. Who did not like the fact that Aaron Klein and Elizabeth were dating. And this was a miner known as Stan Kolka, a.k.a. Big Stan. And I left out a detail. Aaron Klein, you're going to wish I left this detail out. You're going to wish I left it out. Aaron Klein had a little puppy. little puppy dude that like followed him around everywhere. Yep, yep, yep. So imagine all the imaginary of the story before, but a little puppy next to Aaron Klein the whole time. So Big Stan does not like the fact that Aaron Klein is getting close to the boss's daughter, Elizabeth. And he made it very, very well known. He did not approve of this relationship. And people are like, who cares if you approve? Like, I'm sure we're all a bunch of hate criminals here. We're all incredibly racist. But love is love. Love is love. Who cares if they're together? Big Stan wanted none of it. And he made it very well known he wasn't going to stand for this. So one day, all the miners, they're doing their daily routine. They wake up, they're eating their breakfast, and they walk to Randolph Mine. And when they get to the mine, they see Aaron's puppy laying there. And they're like, that's weird. Like, this puppy's always right next to Aaron. It's odd for the puppy to be here. But not Aaron. Maybe Aaron went into the mine. Maybe Aaron wanted an early day to start mining before all the hate crimes started. And as they're getting closer to this little puppy laying there, they're like, oh, he must be all tired and stuff. Must be tired from running from the mob that's chasing his dad. But as they're getting closer to the puppy, it's not moving. And the miners are like, hey, uh, puppy, uh, do stuff. Like, start moving around. And he's just laying there. These miners all kind of look at each other. They get a little bit closer to the puppy, and it's dead. It's been killed. Now you can say a lot about you can say a lot about a racist miner, but they don't they don't they don't like puppies being murdered. And then there's something else going on here because while they did have anti-Semitic pranks going on towards Aaron, they they weren't trying to kill him. But now they're starting to think something bad has happened. Their first suggestion, because they didn't see Aaron when they were walking to the mine. They didn't see Aaron early in the morning. Now they found his dead puppy. They can't find him anywhere. So now they're thinking, did he go into the mine and have an accident? Like, but why would his dog be dead? Like, this doesn't make sense. We can't figure it out. And they started searching for Aaron. They couldn't find him anywhere. They go into the mine. They're looking. It's an 850 foot deep mine with all of these offshoots and everything like that. They can't find him anywhere. Days go by. Weeks go by. No sign of Aaron Klein. One morning, the miners are getting up to start their day again. The miners are walking to the mine, and they notice something. It's not a dead puppy this time. Don't worry, guys. It's not a dead puppy. There's a glowing light at the mouth of the mine. It's just floating there. What in tarnation is that? And as they get closer to the entrance to the mine, they hear a... The whining of a puppy. They have to continue their job, but over time, this light kept reappearing in the mouth of the mine with the sound of a puppy whining. (laughs) Starts to really freak people out, and they start to realize, and this was always their suspicion, that Aaron didn't just leave town. Aaron's not like, I'm done with this town, time to kill my puppy and move on. He didn't just disappear. 
something bad happened to him, which was what they kind of suspected. And they kind of suspected that whatever bad thing happened to him happened in the mine and that Big Stan was behind it. But now that this orb of light is flashing along, making the sounds of a whining puppy, they're almost sure that this has something to do with the murder of Aaron Klein. And they also noticed that late at night, when no one else was around, I don't know how they noticed it, but this is where we get into the urban legend thing. Basically, when no one was around, you would people reported Big Stan going into the mine himself and digging through rubble at the bottom of the mine. So it was an 850-foot shaft, and then when you got to the bottom, there were the shoot, there were the offshoots, tunnels in the mine and things like that. And he would be in these caverns down there looking for something. But it was always late at night. He wasn't doing that when other people were around. I mean, everyone's always looking for something. We were looking for gold. But they could tell this guy was looking for something else. And then one morning, all of the miners wake up. They all sleep in one giant long bed. They go to the mine shaft, and the elevator for the mine is all the way to the bottom. That's weird. It should be at the top. I mean, that's, that's what elevators are for. They're not just down there and you jump on top of them. But... They looked down the mine shaft and they saw. Okay, this is where it starts to get urban legendy. But again, they look down the mine shaft. They have vision that can see through the dark for 850 feet on the roof of the elevator. Was the broken, crumpled body of Big Stan? Oh! He didn't make that noise. He'd been dead all night. That's the story of the Randolph Mine. It's a very, very popular ghost story locally in the area. I find it fascinating for quite a few reasons. One, it's very rare. I've talked about this before on the show. It's very rare for ghosts to kill people. Even though that's a main thing in movies, that is 100% a Hollywood invention. In the 683 episodes we've done on the show, this might have been the fourth or fifth time we've had a ghost linked to a dead body. I'll try to put in the show... There's some of them... I'll try to put in the show notes some of the other episodes, but some of them, there's been some sort of paranormal activity maybe linked to dead bodies, but actually a ghost, like a vengeful spirit, killing their murderer, it's very, very, very rare. And it's interesting, because even when you think of ghost stories, a lot of ghost stories are made up. A lot of ghost stories are tall tales. Even then, it's very rare. Very, very rare. So right off the bat, I found this story super interesting. The implication is that the ghost did kill Big Stan. Because the elevator shouldn't have been all the way at the bottom. So interesting. He wouldn't have he would have had to activate it himself, let go all the way down, and then jump. But, you know, was the elevator malfunctioning and he fell into who knows, who knows? But the implication is that the ghost did it, not not just shoddy workmanship in Randolph Mine. This is an interesting story because on the one hand it feels like an urban legend. I could not verify there was a man named Aaron Klein living in that area. I couldn't find that this guy... The, the, the mine exists. We know that there's certain historical things that exist, but I couldn't find proof that Aaron Klein ever existed. Doesn't mean that he didn't. I just couldn't find... We, we have been able to cover ghost stories on the show before. We covered that one about the haunted boat in San Francisco. We found the boat. We found the names of the captain. The story was true. It actually took place in Maine, oddly enough, but... Sometimes we're really able to drill down and find the details and find out that certain details are real. They were reported in newspapers of the time. This story, I couldn't find any 
historical verification outside of websites like North Carolina Ghost and Spooky North Carolina, stuff like that. But at the same time, all the stories were fairly close. Uh, some, some had a little more information. The original stories didn't have the name Big Stan or anything like that. But they all have the same narrative structure. They're all, all and usually urban legends will be different on different websites, even. And we'll get to that in the ending because we're going to cover a a urban legend in the end that's just all over the place. So I think this was a really cool place to start. One, it's a cool ghost story. It's creepy. You, I don't know. Nobody likes dead puppies, but and that that's interesting because that was an element that I found on one website that I didn't see in the other two websites was the puppy. But you can imagine you have a cave that has a glowing light that does have some sort of paranormal activity. And the story was made up to explain the light. That's usually where urban legends come from. Why is this place so creepy? Um, old Man Metagrity used to live there. Versus someone needs to do something about Old Man Metagrity. He's bringing down the property values of the neighborhood. And then the story goes forward. Urban legends backtrack like that. So I thought that was a cool way to start off this urban legend episode. But Peter Palmer, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind North Carolina. We are headed out to Lombard, Illinois. Now, don't hit the time travel button because this story also takes place in the 1800s. So anywhere between 1801 and 1899, this is where the story takes place. I love this story. It is a total local urban legend. Like, you don't get it anymore. This is almost like the pure, raw, like, this is the wheatgrass version of an urban legend. It's just, like, right out of the ground into your mouth. I actually got this sent to me by Liz Wren on TikTok. And I wasn't able to find any sources for this. I could find nothing about this online. Which I'm not saying that to <laughs> call her a liar at all. I'm saying that this is such a pure urban legend. It's so local, no one's talking about it. So apparently in Lombard, Illinois, back in the 1800s, somewhere between 1801 and 1899, in Lombard, Illinois, there was a doctor who was married to his wife. Which is normally how it works, right? He's normally not married to the butler. He's married to his wife. But his wife passes away. And he starts to become a bit of a recluse. Patients are having to see themselves. They're like, oh, why am I covered in boils? The doctor's like, please, just let me lay in bed. I'm grieving. Fine, I'll lance them myself. He only does house calls to his own house. You gotta show up, you're super sick. You're throwing up everywhere. He's like, oh, I'm only grieving even more. That was her favorite rug. But he starts... <laughs> But he starts to get better. He starts to mentally get better. He starts, like, walking around town. He's like, hey, guys, how you doing? They're all dead. They're all dead because he was the local doctor. He's like, what happened here? They're like, the Black Plague came through. He's like, oh, that's easy to fix nowadays. He's walking through town. He He's much better now. And he also has gotten an affinity for chickens. He starts buying chickens. All the chickens he can find. He's going to chicken farms and chicken ranches. He's like, how many chickens you got there? And they're like, I don't know, 10, 20? I'll buy them all. Really? So he's buying all these chickens, and he would take them back to his house. And people are like, that's weird. Like, what's he doing with them? I mean, he's probably eating them. Because that's normally what people do with chickens. But he's, no one can eat that many chickens. It's not Hulk Hogan. So what this doctor was doing was he was taking these chickens, and he was killing them. Which, which is what you do with chicken. That's not the shock. It's not the end of the urban legend. Did you know people kill chickens? You're like, ah, you're eating a chicken. He's killing these chickens. And he's trying to bring them back to life. 
So he'd kill him, and then he'd electrocute him, and he was pouring this homemade medicine he made down their beaks. He's like, take this dead chicken. He's electrocuting them. And he's taking notes on all of this stuff. He's like, oh, man, shh, that, that, that one didn't work. That one didn't work. That one didn't work. And he's doing this. And then one day he pours the right concoction down a chicken's gullet and electrocutes it just right. The chicken survives. So now he has now his house is full of chicken carcasses and one live chicken. Rock, rock, rock. This chicken had a scar on its throat. Now I know what you guys are asking. I know you guys are asking the question, how does anyone know this, right? Like, this is highly detailed urban legend stuff. Does someone really go, and the chicken had a scar on its throat? How would you even know? That? I mean, that's like a super, how do you notice a chicken has a scar? It's covered in feathers. But anyways, there's, there's this really badass chicken sitting there, a little patch on his eye, scar on his throat. So now that his concoction is perfected, he goes to a cemetery. Oh, Margaret. I didn't name you earlier, but this is your name now. Digging you out of your grave, you're going to join me once again in the land of the living. And he digs his wife up, and there's nothing left but bones, obviously. It took a long time. You didn't, here's a pro tip. It's going to take an awful long time to learn how to bring stuff back from the dead. So she's been quite decayed. She's nothing but bones, but he's able to take the skeleton home. Okay. This guy's carting the skeleton home. Did he carry her as like one giant skeleton or did he just put all the bones in a box? Oh, I'll assemble you later, Margaret. And then takes her home. The thigh bone's connected to the hip bone. He's singing that whole song. The chicken's like, uh, why'd you bring me back from the dead? This is so annoying. He reassembles his wife and then decides to... He, he comes to the conclusion that whatever this concoction is that he made to bring people back from the dead probably tastes gross, right? I mean, sure, sure, you're destroying the laws of nature. You become a necromancer, but it also tastes disgusting. So he mashes up bananas and he puts it into this concoction and he begins pouring it in a skeleton's mouth. No, no tongue, by the way, sir. You didn't have to worry about what it tasted like. So she's nothing but bones. He's pouring this concoction into her mouth. But one day, his son-in-law swings by the house. He goes, you know what? <laughs> I'm in the mood for I'm in the mood for some chicken. And I don't have any money, but I know that my father-in-law has a bunch of chickens. I'm sure there's just like delicious chicken nuggets laying around everywhere. He goes to the house. He didn't announce his visit. He walks through the front door. The doctor's guard chicken let him down. Didn't warn him. When the son-in-law comes into the kitchen, he sees his mother's corpse going nom, 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 moving its mouth up and down, eyes rolling, eyes rolling in its skull, and the man is feeding this corpse mashed... What was it? What was it? <laughs> mashed bananas, that was it. Mashed bananas, and the son-in-law is like, no! And ever since that horrible event, that house has been known as the Banana House in Lombard, Illinois. So obviously, that story's fake. Or is it? <laughs> no, it is. It's totally fake. I mean, she told me it. I'm not saying that Liz Wren doesn't exist. She's a fictional character. 
But the story itself is a local legend because none of the details add up. And I'm not even including stuff like bringing the dead back to life. Because on Dead Rabbit Radio, that's possible, right? We've covered enough weird stuff. I'm not even talking about stuff like that. I'm talking about little details like the chicken with the scar on its neck. The fact that how could you feed a skeleton food and then it starts to grow human tissue again? Like... At a certain point, you may miss your loved ones, but you're not doing them any good if they're just going to be a reanimated skeleton. They're basically now just a villain in Jason and the Argonauts. Like if they're a skeleton and you figure out a way to bring them back to life, don't bring, don't bring, don't bring a skeleton back to life. But you have these details. Like how would you feed a skull this food? It doesn't have any taste buds. Doesn't have a stomach or anything like that. It's just bones. But we're in the realm of magic at this point. But it, it, again, the house is now called the Banana House. I can almost get... And I tried looking for this. Like Liz, thank you so much for sending this, by the way. I was very, very entertained by this story. We're going to backtrack this again. What I can almost guarantee is that in Lombard, Illinois, there is a house that is either the color of a banana, or that's the most likely, or unlikely, shaped like a banana, or has a banana tree, or whatever. And it was nicknamed the Banana House. And at some point, some kid goes, why is it the Banana House? And their older brother goes, let me tell you a story, and made this up. And that got passed down from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and so on, where it's been perfected over time. And that's how these urban legends grow. But we got one more urban legend to look at. Peter Palmer, let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Lombard, Illinois. Got a little chicken passenger in the back seat, sitting there, a little scar around his neck. He gives us a thumbs up. We're rescuing you, bro. We're leaving behind Lombard, Illinois. We're headed out to Chino Hills, California. Maybe a year and a half ago, our resident Bigfoot expert, Bennett, he's recommended a lot of stories on this show. I don't know what possessed him to do this. I don't know why he did this. I'm thankful. It's really cool, but I never really figured it out. He went through all 50 states in the United States. He traveled on foot himself. He looked for pig man legends in every single state. We've covered a couple of them, but we have like 43 more of these to go. Thank you so much, Bennett, for sending this story over. Again, 100% pure urban legend. But this one has some government proof behind it. Is it truly an urban legend? Let's take a look at this. Chino Hills, California. We're walking along the rolling hills of this beautiful landscape. We see a chain link fence and I look at you and you look at me and I go, Psst, chain link, more like chain lame. <laughs> You're like, Jason, you dork. And you pull out your bolt cutters. We cut a hole in the fence. We walk through it. No chain link fence is going to stop us. All those signs, all those warning signs that we see, ah, just don't read those, dude, that's lame. We're walking along this facility, and we see two kids in the distance playing tag. You're it! No, you're it! It's not really, it's not really fun to play tag with only two people. We're, we are currently at Aerojet Rocketdyne. This was a facility built in Chino Hills. Back in the 1950s, we're walking along this stretch of land. Now, this stretch of land is known for quite a few things. One, if you were young and you owned a car, but you didn't own your own place, this is where you take your girlfriend to go make out with her, out in this area. There's nothing more romantic than Aerojet Rocketdyne, baby. You could go out there for that. You could also go out there if you were up to no good, drug deals, things like that. It was also a place for exploring, having Goonie-esque adventures. This was also a place of darkness. 
which actually goes hand in hand with the two activities. One, if you're a drug dealer, you don't want to do it at a daycare, right? You don't want to do it. A bunch of kids are like going ring around the rosy as you're like spilling your drugs everywhere. You want to do it out in a place where people aren't, there's not going to be prying eyes. Or if someone does see you doing something, they're going to have to admit they were out there. And then I've talked about this before on the show, the boo pill. If you want to get a girl to go out to a location, girls love ghosts. Girls love spooky stories. So it's not just like, hey, Betty, you want to go out to Makeout Hill? Oh, what type of girl do you think I am, Jason? Meh. Or, hey, Betty, do you want to go on a ghost hunt with me? Ooh, you sure are the bee's knees, Jason. And then we go, because obviously if we're going out to Makeout Hill, we're making out, right? But if we go on a ghost hunt, even if we don't see anything, we end up in the middle of nowhere. Or parking the car and it's like, oh, Betty, that sure was fun driving around for three hours looking for ghosts. It sure was, Jason. Mwah. So I know that was a super erotic adventure. I know that was theater of the mind, but it does work. And it's much better to say, hey, baby, you want to go hang out and hunt ghosts? And we'll be walking around dark places and breaking into houses. There'll just happen to be a couch. There'll just happen to be a mattress there. Versus let's go get a hotel room. Talking first date type stuff. Obviously, by the time you've established a relationship, they're most likely going to want you to get a hotel room or just clean your bedroom. But first date, you take them to a haunted location. So that was another reason why this place worked. And there was it's funny, there was actually a quote here in this article I was reading about this that said, quote, Needless to say, it was an enticing way for guys to get girls to go to a remote location, unquote. So it's not just me coming up with that. Uh, there's, there's other manipulators out there who use the paranormal to get babes. Anyway, so we're at Aerojet Rocketdyne. And in the 1960s, the urban legends really kick into full gear. Before, it's just a place that you're not supposed to go to. There's all these warning signs. It's in the middle of nowhere. But then the story starts that two kids went missing in the 1960s. They just disappeared off the face of the earth. Again, that's going to get people excited to go there. These legends make you want to go to explore them. Two kids disappearing in the 1960s in a part of California. I cannot confirm or deny that that happened. I wasn't able to to connect any missing person cases to Chino Hills specifically. But at the same time, that's a huge range. And some of the stories say it happened in the 1970s. So we're talking a 10 to 20 year gap. It's very possible that in that time period, two children went missing in the area. It's possible they got found three days later, but the story of them missing lasted much longer than them being found. And we see that happen a lot, investigating stuff on this show. But remember, we're here for the pig man. We're not here. We're not looking for some lousy kids. We're here for the pig man. Bennett sent us over here for the pig man. This is a really interesting conspiracy theory because when you look up the pig man of Chino Hills... Everyone's talking about it, but nobody knows anything. It's super weird. Like, I was looking up on these different articles, I was looking up on Reddit, and it's always the same couple things. I heard, someone told me, I remember, but I'm not for sure. It's very vague, which is interesting, because normally urban legends get more constructed over time. They very rarely collapse. They normally get more intricate. But the pigman of Chino Hills is basically this. There's a pigman living in the area, in the wooded area around Aerojet Rocketdyne. And it's either a crazed farmer wearing the head of a pig or a human who is turned into a pig-human hybrid. 
one of those one of those is infinitely more scary, right? If a man was running around with a pig head, it's kind of gross. If a man used to be human is now turned into a pig, I'm afraid that might happen to me too. Like, is he going to take me back to his lair and hook me up to some weird device? And I see a chicken with a scar. I was like, no, you betrayed me. And then I'm like feeling my organs shift and my hands are turning into little little stubby things. What are those things called? Hooves? That's more terrifying than a man with a pig head chopping me up. Even if he was chopping me up like super slowly, he's like, tomorrow we'll start on your foot. As I'm like already missing a bunch of other limbs. Yeah, whatever. But if I was turning into a pig person... That's way scarier. So tip tip out there to the future tellers of the Pigmanichino Hills legend. Stick with the creepy. Stick with the... And then tell your little brother, yeah, and then if he gets you late at night, he puts a little tube in your belly button and fills you full of grease and fat and fills you full of the kids getting hungry. He's like, mmm, reminds me of McDonald's. He's like, no, no, no. It's gross grease and gross fat, and he turns you into a piggy. So, yeah, do that. <laughs> if you're going to traumatize a kid... Make it creepy. But anyway, so that's it. Like, when you type in Pigman and Cheetah, you're like, Jason, you're like, Jason, seriously? You built up this whole, you built up this whole story? You're telling us about all this stuff and making out how you trick women into haunted houses? And then you're just going to tell us that? Well, yeah, it's super interesting. Like, that's all we have of the Pigman, but that's not all we have about Chino Hills. All we have about Pigman is it may be a farmer with a pig head, it may be a man who is a who is half human, half pig, and now Jason's added this story that he might turn you into a half human, half pig. Because even if there was just a half human, half I could outrun a half human, half pig. Like I, I probably can't. I can't outrun a lot of humans, right? I gotta be honest. I can't outrun a lot of humans, but I, I could outrun a pig. So I'm sure that I could outrun a human pig. I guess we'll find out tonight when they break into my house and try to turn me into a pig. I can easily outrun that dude. But if I got caught and he turned me into a pig person, that would be the worst. That would be a horrible nightmare for me. But that's not the only reason why we're at Chino Hills. Chino Hills also has another urban legend that is far more well-known in the area. Everyone knows about this story. Dads have brought their... There was an article I read. This father brought his son up to the area. Can I see it, Dad? Can I see it? Well, son, I don't know if it'll be there, but I remember seeing it as a boy myself. It's a really interesting article. The dad was saying, you know, when I was young, this area was so full of mystery, and then my son wanted it. And he goes, whether or not the mystery is real, and this is what's so important about urban legends. He goes, whether or not the mystery is real, it was a bonding moment between me and my son. We got to spend the day walking around. <laughs> we got to spend the day walking around Aerojet Rocketdyne, which is now closed down. Now it's much easier to walk around. Don't. We'll get to that in a second, but the other very popular myth, maybe, might be true, the green mist of Chino Hills. So in, the legend goes, in this area, sometimes early in the morning, sometimes late at night, when the fog is rolling in and the conditions are just right, green mist covers the land. It's wrong. It's unnatural. You, you shouldn't be seeing this. Over the decades, people have reported seeing the green mist of Chino Hills. Some people think it's a paranormal event. That the, the kids that went missing, they've tied that into either the pig man getting them, or the green mist enveloped them and took them away somewhere. Some sort of supernatural thing. 
Other people say it's not real at all. The green mist is nothing. If it's anything, it's some sort of optical illusion, but it's probably not even that. Local skeptics go, there's no such thing as a green mist. There's no video footage of it. There's no photographs of it. Aerojet Rocketdyne opened in 1954 as a munitions assembly and munitions testing location, which sounds like a bad idea. But they're manufacturing and testing these weapons from 1954 to 1995, and the place got shut down in 95. They've been cleaning it up ever since. They were using depleted uranium there, which is generally used as an anti-tank, anti-armor shell. So not good, and shouldn't be a shocker, highly, highly toxic. I mean, <laughs> you can say depleted in the first word. The second word is still uranium. And they were testing it. So they were basically like the doctor in Lombard, Illinois. <laughs> they're, like put, they're like, sir, that's too much uranium in that shell. Oh, well, let's just bury it. And then they're trying to make another one. Okay, that's just the right amount of uranium. So they're testing. They're trying to get the concoctions just right. And it's 1954. So <laughs> when they are like, what do we do with all this depleted stuff? I don't know. Just throw it in the ground. Let gophers deal with it. So the theory is, is that the green mist is real. It actually is a real phenomenon that people did see back in the 50s and the 60s, and it started to go away because back then they were really, really working with some toxic stuff. Because there's not sightings of the green mist today. So you would have had it in the 50s, the 60s, maybe the 70s, but it starts to peter out. But the idea is that at some point it was real. This green mist would roll across the land, and it was radioactive so this may be one of those urban legends that does have a seed of truth in it the green mist was real and there are people who have a vested interest in convincing people that it's not but let's go ahead and end this urban legend expedition like this let's put on our conspiracy caps here and wrap it on up what if the two legends are related that the green mist is a radioactive cloud that was released because the scientists either didn't know or didn't care what they were dealing with at Aerojet Rocketdyne. And there was a local pig farmer in the area who loved his little piggies. He's petting them. And he's like, oh, you guys, someday I'm going to chop you up and I'm going to eat you. But right now, you guys are the love of my life. And he's hugging them. I guess pig farmer. I guess pig farmer. Don't do that. That would make him really bad at their job. But he that's he's not a I never said he was a good pig farmer. He hugs the pig every night before he goes to bed. He has a bunch of them. He reads them bedtime stories. And when he goes to bed, he doesn't notice the green mist covering his farm. When he wakes up, it's always gone. He always sees a nice crisp Pacino Hills morning and he goes out and he feeds the pigs. He, he rides them around for fun. Wee! I would be the worst pig farmer. And then he goes to bed. And he never wakes up early enough to see the green mist roll again through the farm. And every day he goes out there and he's playing with the pigs. He does have to sell a couple of them. He does have rent to pay. But he always gets new piggies and he raises them. And he's doing this for years and years. He lives alone, too. It's just him and his pigs. So he doesn't start to notice the changes to his own skin. He's hungrier. He's hungry. He loves eating corn on the cob right out of a bucket he that was the way grandma used to make it right but every day when that green mist rolls in 
and it settles on his farm, and then he walks out there, and he's kicking up the radioactive molecules, and he's petting his pigs. He's transferring pig DNA into his body. Every time he pets the pig, he becomes a little less human and a little more pig. And one day, the scientists at Aerojet Rocketdyne are looking through binoculars, and they're like, hey, you know that guy who lives out by that pig farm? And the lead scientist goes, don't you have something better to do? Don't you have weapons to test? Why are you some sicko voyeur looking at... No, 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 I know, I know, I am a sicko voyeur, and I'm seeing a psychiatrist for that. But look through these binoculars, look over at Farmer John over there, and the, the other scientist looks through the binoculars, and he sees Farmer John's a little more hunched over this time. His pants don't fit as well. And he has a tail. <laughs> he has a curly little tail coming out of his butt. The lead scientist goes, oh my god. Do you think it's possible that he's becoming a human pig? And the other scientist goes, what other option would there be? So they start thinking. All this green mist that floats out of our facility every morning. We're venting off this radioactive gas. What if it's turning him into a pig because he's touching pigs all the time? So they have to do something about this, right? They have to cover up this horrible crime that they've committed. They're turning... I mean, there's nothing worse. You know how many years in prison you can get for turning a human into a pig against his will? So one night, they snatch this guy out of his bed. They they put him in a giant burlap. They wrap him up in a giant pancake, pigs in a blanket, and they drag him. This is going totally off the rails. It's, it was supposed to be super spooky, but I can't stop making jokes. They drag him to the facility. Here's the here's the spooky part, okay? This is the spooky part. So the legend of the pig man is real, but it's not a man, half man, half pig, running around Chino Hills looking for young people to snatch up. He's actually a military experiment now. Half human, half pig. <coughs> strapped down to a table. Scientists injecting syringes into him. They're pulling it out and they're looking through they're looking through a microscope it's little pigs little pig amoebas floating around and the scientists are nodding at each other they're like our theories are real and then like the pig dude is like strapped down to the table and if you don't think that's spooky because i'm the only person who thinks turning into a pig is spooky here's the spooky part the radiation made him like super live long made him like not age and in 1995 when they're shutting the place down one of the scientists goes, you know what? I'm sure I'm going to miss this place as he's putting microscopes in a box. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I think it's kind of weird we have a bunch of microscopes at a place where we tested weapons. Why did we need all these microscopes? I don't know. And they're loading stuff up and they go to shut the light off. And the scientist goes, wait a second. I have a feeling like we're forgetting something. We, we've got everything out of this building, right? And the lead scientist is like, yeah, there's nothing else. I can't think of anything. But deep underneath Aerojet Rocketdyne, to this day, there's an old, kind farmer still strapped to a table. Uh, uh, half man, half pig, eternally hungry. He can't move. He can't break free. Or can he? I mean, I can't. I guess the implication was that he's going to break free tonight and, like, get you. But he's been strapped. He's been strapped down since 1995. He's not going anywhere. So I think you're safe from the pig man of Chino Hills. Dead Rabbit, or are you? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at Facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at DeadRabbitRadio. 
Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.